daddy wants you to know a lot of the episodes have mostly clean language, but this episode has some words in it that aren't meant for all ages. So, if you have kids like me in your house, you may want to put some headphones on for this one. You've been warned. Done, done, done. Gaka, gaka. Swagat ahe, which is welcome in Marathi, which is, I, I don't know if you don't know this, but it's an Indo-Aryan language spoken mainly in the Indian state of Maharashtra. Welcome to the Daddy Unscripted podcast. My name is Tim Wheaton. I am the creator and your podcast host. And again, because that probably throws people off a little bit on each one of my episodes, I make a point of welcoming people in a different language, trying to help you all kind of expand your knowledge base of how to say welcome to other people. So you are welcome for that as well. So today I am very happy to bring on a guest that again came through the world of Twitter to me in a roundabout way. This is Jonathan Hart, who is the founder and runner of the Broke Down podcast, which is a Grateful Dead podcast, and is also one of the four hosts of the Helping Friendly podcast, which may ring a little bell for all of you because we had RJ on not that long ago, who was one of the main people from the Helping Friendly podcast. So Jonathan has a super unique and fascinating story, not only in the lineage of his father and his father's father, but the way that Jonathan became a dad for the first time all the way through to his third child now. So let's just jump straight to the episode so we can get to those stories right away. So without any more of my lead in, here is Jonathan Hart. So I am here today, very happy to bring to you all a new guest that again has come through the tracings of Twitter I, I constantly praise Twitter for that. And this is the way that in a in a roundabout way that Jonathan has come to be on the podcast. So Jonathan, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here and uh, finally chatting with you. Yeah. So Jonathan Hart, you are in charge of Broke Down Podcast, but are you basically the, is that all you? That is 100% me. Yeah. Uh, so we'll get into that a bunch as well. But uh, Broke Down Podcast is a podcast about the Grateful Dead, for those of you who aren't aware of that. And we'll get into that whole section a little bit later as well. But first, let's kind of go through the daddy side. We'll, we'll kind of do my <laughs> podcast first, and then we'll talk about yours. So let's go back as far, like I said, and always say as far back as it makes sense for you to go in that lineage. Uh, well, let's see. In the beginning, the Earth. Mm. <laughs> well, we're going way back. <laughs> no, uh, you know, I think you know there is a lot of lineage, and you know, uh, but I don't know it. You know, my brother he knows all this mm-hmm. stuff about you know who our great 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 greats were, and all that stuff, or he's got it written down somewhere. Basically, I, I look at it, you know, I know I knew my grandparents. I knew them reasonably well. I lost my mother's parents 
before I was out of high school. For the context for for here, for what we what we talk about here, I would tell you that both of my grandfathers were Navy officers. My mother's father mm. was a doctor in the Navy, and he, I mean, he was, you know, they were they were in war, you know, in their day, you know, real pretty serious business. My mother's father was one of the, I guess, one of the first American Navy doctors to land in Japan at the end of World War II and saw some pretty serious stuff there, apparently. And then um, my father's father was a pilot in the Navy. And, you know, back when he was a pilot in the Navy, they were flying off of much more precarious aircraft carriers. Uh, But um, my father was, uh, he was also in the Navy, and he was an aviator. He was not a pilot, though. He was the guy, he flew these planes called, they were A6s, and they were kind of a, whitish kind of fat looking air, airplane that um, took off the aircraft carriers and dropped bombs or did refueling and things like that. And he was the guy who sat on the right, who was the bombardier navigator and, uh, and uh, that kind of, yeah, it's, it's a cool job. And when I was little, I totally, totally idolized him for it. Uh, you know, he'd come home in his flight suit and uh, I thought that was, super badass that's crazy yeah so he he uh you know he flew that in vietnam there's a movie there's a movie called flight of the intruder of course it was a book before that and that kind of sensationalizes but talks about the kind of things that he did which is kind of cool it's an interesting thing so you know when i was like i said when i was little i idolized him um we were probably the least the least mobile of all the navy families i knew maybe not the least but one of, you know, most of the people I knew whose dads were in the Navy, they bounced around. We moved to Texas briefly when I was a kid, little, little kid. Mm-hmm. And then we lived, um, mostly we lived in Virginia Beach, Virginia. And then we lived in Northern Virginia outside of DC. That's it. But my parents were both in very mobile Navy families. I think uh, my father, at one point, he, I can't remember the numbers, but he, you know, he went to like, uh, six schools in seven years and stuff like that. And then they met in high, my, in their senior year of high school, my parents met in Newport, Rhode Island and went to college together, got married. Here I am. So that's, that's kind of where I came from. And I grew up, as I said, you know, in Virginia beach, listening to jets fly over thinking I could be a writer and a fighter pilot when I grow up. Mm-hmm. Then I got older and I realized what that meant. Uh, which, you know, I became a pacifist and, you know, kind of hippie and rebelled hard against that stuff. And so now at this point, my father is no longer going to sea for six months out of every year, but I didn't like him at all. And the age range of that, that you're talking about, are you talking about, uh, just out of high school, like in your higher teens or, Okay. You know, I started listening to classic rock in, you know, when I was eight, 10 years old. By the time I'm 13, I was listening to Jimi Hendrix and Grateful Dead and, of course, the Beatles and Peace, man. Why you got to why you got to drop bombs, dad. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> which is, you know, ultimately kind of lame and judgmental. But that's what teenagers are for. Uh, yeah. Oversimplifying 
big, big picture items. Yeah. But now I have, well, I've had one before and I've got another one again. So teenagers that comes back to haunt you. We're getting it. We're going to get to some good parental karma stories is what you're telling me. (laughs) It's there. It's out there. (laughs) It Um, totally is. (laughs) But, um, yeah, so then, but I, I got over it and ultimately my dad is, you know, he's a, he's, he's a cool guy. You know, he's, he was into flying planes. He wanted to be up in the air and he's good at math. And so this, like the calculations of navigation and, and dropping bombs uh, that tripped his wire and i don't necessarily support the ultimate cause for dropping bombs or the the wars or what have you but like i i get it and uh have you ever been on an aircraft carrier when he gets in his jet and they fling you off into the air Mm -hmm. that's got to be exhilarating and then you get up there and so you've been on an airplane you look down and you see miles of the ground and the you know farmland or whatever and all this stuff. Well, imagine you're looking down and you're just trying to pick out a spot that's just three or four football fields long. And I imagine that it's surrounded by the freaking ocean. Right. And he's got to go from there to some drop bombs on some point in, off in the distance and then come back. And put the plane down. Nail a landing on that. On this thing that not only is relatively small in the giant ocean, but is also moving up and down. And that's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. So uh, you know, I've I've gained perspective (laughs) and respect for that. Yeah, Yeah. I I could never do that, and uh, and I would never do that. But that's pretty amazing that he did. Yeah. I have no experience with that whatsoever. And, you know, not only in the honorable way of Memorial Day and those other kind of um, honoring and celebrating the people that have sacrificed and do what they do for our country. But I, I really am in awe of because I, 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 I may not be exactly like you, but I'm in the way that that's just that's not something I would have ever done. And. I don't know what I would have done in a time of war. You know, if when I was a teenager and we were at war, I don't know what that would have made me do if I would have been a draft card burner or a draft dodger or whatever. But I I know that, you know, that it would have taken a very large change in what is my normal kind of psyche to be able to make a conscious decision to to take that on myself. Right. I, well, I, I, I know exactly what you mean. Cause I, I think that looking at it, um, you know, if I were to go back to, if Pearl Harbor were today, I might would sign up reluctantly, or maybe mm-hmm. try to find some, uh, non-combat service, but I would sign up. Right. Right. Um, Cause I'm, I'm a patriot. I love my country. I just, I, I have a problem with killing people. <laughs> Go figure. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. But at the same time, there have been other conflicts that I would protest instead, because I think that I have a lot of respect for the people who are willing to take up arms, put their life in the lo- on the line for our country. And I think that our country should respect that willingness by not 
putting them in situations that they shouldn't be in. Right. It's not it's not an uh, army man game where everybody that is in that mode means they need to be doing that at all times. Right. Exactly. Just because we yeah. have an army doesn't mean we should be throwing it at everything. Yeah. Maybe that's not why we're here, but that's part of the journey <laughs> that, you know, that I, I went on. I had to think about this stuff as a, when I grew up, cause that was an option. That was a laid out possibility when I was growing up was, well, are you going to join the Navy like your dad? You know, I have no idea. So many times this, this question was posed to me when I was little. And then, um, by the time I was a teenager, people stopped asking. Mm hmm. Because they knew the answer, you think, or I think it became a little bit apparent. But you know, I was running with a guy and listening to when I was 13, 14, and 15, we were listening to this music and getting high or whatever we did. And he ended up in the Navy, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and it occurred to me that if getting ahead of things here again, but if I had gone in the Navy. At the, my most opportune time, which would be maybe when I was first expecting a kid, I could be retired now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> At least from that job. Right, right. So your dad and and how you kind of started rebelling and going against that and whatnot, how did that alter your father-son relationship with him? Oh, it was it was contentious. He didn't understand me at all. Or certainly he didn't. Um, let me rephrase that. We didn't understand each other at all. It's two-way street, right? My perception, of course, was that he was a hard ass who didn't get it, man. Right. And and he didn't get it. I, don't, I really feel like he didn't. Maybe because I think his perception at the time was that I was wasting my time and money and energy and life trying to go to Grateful Dead shows and collect records and not go to college or stay in college or what have you. And uh, yeah, so it was rocky. We were, we were a house divided briefly. My mother was, uh, she had dropped out of school when they got married and went back in the 80s um, and was, by the time I was... With with some breaks in her education after got, she got her bachelor's, then she worked for a while and then went back. And um, she was finishing her PhD down near Virginia Beach where we had been living. When we my father had retired from the Navy, we moved to Northern Virginia. So we were house divided. She was coming up on the weekends and down there for school during the week. And I was living with my dad full time. They weren't separated. They were just geographically diverse for a brief time mm -hmm. geographically diverse i like that <laughs> and so it was just he and i which meant a when we did encounter each other it was uh sometimes rough but b mm -hmm. i was kind of out of his control which was cool for me right i was okay with that it wasn't until i became a, a parent that I, I settled down enough that my father rolled his eyes significantly less when he got an update on what I was mm -hmm. doing. To be honest, I was, I was going wild um, in the best possible way, I thought. <laughs> Don't right? we all? So, you know, uh, yeah. in, in 1995, I had 
only a few goals, and they were all basically centered around seeing as many kick-ass concerts as I could. So I was mm-hmm. going to as many dead shows as was reasonable. And by reasonable, I meant that I, I kept my job at the record store, and which helped me pay for the dead shows. And I was going to fish shows right. at the same time and, and other interesting concerts. That was all I cared about doing. And this is when, so you're living in Virginia at this living time? Living in Northern Virginia. I had moved out of my parents' house, but I wasn't in any sort of high living. I was living in somebody else's basement, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I had a girlfriend and a good circle of friends, and we were going to shows and having a good old time. And then uh, Jerry died, and that was a significant bummer. But, yeah. you know, we pressed on, and we were like, well, we'll just we'll go go to some fish shows, more fish shows this fall, I guess. And and we did. And somewhere in that fall, in fact, I know exactly when it was. It was right after, right after fish played Hampton in November. Um, my girlfriend said, Hey, we should, uh, we should talk. And yeah. Oh boy. And I knew I was like, <laughs> Oh no. Did you really? Yeah, I knew. I mean, I didn't know, but I knew. And right, right. sure enough, we're going to have a baby. Oh, good. Yeah. Sweet. <laughs> I can't wait. Um, and and then I spent the next several months walking around like like I it looked like I was in shell shock, you know. Yeah. And and my friends all have talked about it, you know. They're like, "Oh yeah, deer in headlights. You were you were the most freaked out person I'd ever seen at that point." <laughs> and um <laughs> dead men walking right you know i mean because this was yeah this was not in the program of going to all of the good concerts right right yeah you just basically uh kneecapped yourself right exactly and um that's smooth but uh so you know it's like all right well fine i guess you know and here i am i'm a college dropout and nothing going on working in a record store. It's awesome, but it doesn't pay nothing. Mm-hmm. There's no money there. Were you working at a small time record store or oh, yeah. was it a chain? It was an independent used record shop. Okay. I mean, it's not like I even worked at tower where I could try to push into management and get benefits or something. Uh, right. Which is where I was working at that time. Cool. You were a couple of years ahead of me, but at that, time like right after high school that was pretty much the major job that i took i was also working at a local record store down in laguna where i lived and working a tower for the next four to five years and same exact thing there were a few of us deadheads there that we were doing the same thing you're you're working for the show oh yeah just like pretty I'm much. getting i'm just trying to make sure i have enough cash for when mail order goes up and i can Fill up my yep. three by five cards and send them in, yep. and uh, uh, and every now and then I'm bringing home a record or two or five or ten or you know. Oh yeah, uh, t- at Tower we have the um, once you were working there long enough, you had an account, and you could basically just sign sign out that you were taking whatever cds or records and they just took it out of your paycheck and that was extremely dangerous i had some of my friends who 
were not at all realizing how much they were right. buying and they'd get their check and it'd be like 20 bucks. Oh, God. Yeah, but then they would go to a shop like mine and sell them uh, for straight yep. cash. And yeah, because we, you know, that happened. We had we had people coming from Tower. My friend Jen would come over from Tower with her stack of stuff and we'd pick up stuff. We'd go over there and she'd ring us up with her discount, you know. There was a taper that lived very close to me and he started in the 70s. He was an older, older than, much older than me. And uh, I was doing the same thing. He would come in and he was a humongous Star Trek fan. Cool. And this was right around the time that Laserdiscs started. So I, I would say probably 92, 91, 92 ish. And he would come in and just grab some Laserdiscs. And I would buy them on my discount for him. And he would bring in like a new group of nine Max L XL 290s with oh, yeah. some shows on it for me. It was fantastic. <laughs> nice. Yeah. It's a good way to get shows. Yeah, it's all right. I'm going to bring it right back. So as we said, I was wandering around all shell-shocked and scared. And apparently even um, he and Ed and some other of my acquaintances who I, question how well they knew me had a bet going whether i would i would take off oh my gosh yeah i did not take off because that's crazy that's a major character flaw i don't know how else to really there's many other ways to put that right i mean look it's a thing that happens but yeah i agree with you i think that's not a sign of a particularly together person in that situation you have however many months to think about it it's not a here is this baby, it's yours, and I'm leaving, and you're taking off. It's a long-term situation that you're right. working out or not working right. out. Right, so we, we, of course, talked about it, and it was clear that that we were going to have a baby. You know, uh, we talked about all the options, and basically, it's like, if this baby's going to be born, I'm going to raise it. Um, I'm not prepared for that. Mm-hmm. I have no money or prospects, but yeah, I, yeah. I'm going to do something about it. So I, um, I sat down and I kind of thought about what I knew how to do and what I could improve on and where I could make some money. And this was, as I say, this was fall and right at the end of 95, I said, all right, I'm going to go to school. I found a program that I could, I could sign up for. And uh, get a certificate that says I know how to work on computers. And I'm going to go do that. I'm going to learn this. I Because I had been kind of a computer nerd on the side. In high school, it was more in private. I was secretive about it. But I was a computer nerd on the side. And so I was like, well, it's time to apply these skills. And uh, the only thing is I have no money. So I went to my parents and I said, guess what? And, um, and they of course were, uh, not super shocked that their less than responsible son had wandered into this situation. But I think that they, because I, I, I approached them with, I have a situation, I have an idea of what I'm going to do about it. I need this and this, which was, you know, money and a place to live for a little while because I couldn't pay rent if I'm paying all my money to go to school. So they were kind enough to take me back in their house and 
helped me with school. I started in January. And I, I got to say, I'm going to brag. I got straight A's. I, never before in my life in school had I taken the time and put forth the effort to get straight A's. Nice. But I busted my ass and did very well, I think. And uh, before June, when Althea was born, before she was born, I had my first, you know, like a contract temp job answering phones at a help desk at the uh, at a major telecom company at their world headquarters in Washington, D.C. And I have worked consistently in this field for 21 years. The truth is I've been at the same firm now for almost 18 years. That's tremendous. Basically, the motivation is I had to keep paying for these damn children. (laughs) May that go on your gravestone, (laughs) Well, you know, there's that... um, (laughs) <laughs> this didn't inspire me at the time, but I, I I saw it later, and I and I look back approvingly. Is that there's this great Simpsons episode where they tell the story of how Maggie came into their lives. Homer's been working at the power plant. They got the two kids. They're kind of young, but things are stable, and uh, they put away a little money. They got the house going on. Everything's groovy, and Homer is able to leave the power plant and go work at the bowling alley. Hmm. And it is the greatest job, and his life is amazing, and he is feeling it. Meanwhile, Marge is pregnant and doesn't know how to tell him. And he, uh, and so she's pregnant, doesn't know how to tell him, and he's like, you know, he's just cheery. He's cheering for his own life. He's like, yeah, everything's amazing. I got it going mm-hmm. on. And he's literally driving down the road, and Chief Wiggum uh, sees him, and he's like, hey, Hey, Homer, way to go. And, and Homer's like, yeah, man, things are great. And, 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 but he doesn't hear the whole <laughs> sentence. Way to go getting March pregnant. And he didn't hear that. And he's yeah. like, yeah, man, life's awesome. And he drives home and walks in while there's a baby shower going on. And he sees the baby shower and everybody's saying, oh, hey, gosh. Homer. And he's like, hey, guys, everybody. And then his, like, he had like four hairs at the time. And then two of them bloop, plop off and down to the two that you see every day. <laughs> and, and it just it hits him and he's like oh shit and he's got to go back and ask for his job at the power plant and uh and he and at his station where he sleeps uh, i mean works he has a, a little picture of maggie and is crossed out some like warning notice so it, instead of saying for emergency some so he just says for her and that's why he gets up and why he goes there every day and that is an oversimplification, but I look, I look at that and I was like, yeah, I get that. I'm the, I'm also that guy sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Though you didn't, I didn't get to leave and go to the ideal job. I had the ideal job before the children. Right, right. But what are you going to do? So a couple of questions just to clarify and kind of build that picture up. How, how, old are you and how old is your girlfriend at that time and how long have the two of you been together at that time so althea was born in summer of ni- june of 96 so i was 21 years old my girlfriend mm-hmm. was 20 and we had been together for not 2 years i have said many times that you know i wouldn't change anything but i wouldn't recommend anybody else try it yes <laughs> it's not the uh, standard procedure 
I don't believe in standard procedure in anything, anyway, <laughs> but this yeah. is not the recommended. <laughs> recommended yeah, the course. recommended move for a uh, record store employee. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I, I got this job and, and I'm working. I move, I get to get another job and I'm still working and we get an apartment and uh, we have a baby and a two bedroom apartment and not the best part of uh, town. Um, mm hmm. We moved to, and, and things are a little, they're okay. They're not great. We moved to a slightly better apartment, only slightly better apartment, and things are not great. She wants to go back to work, and but not to any kind of real gainful job. She's antsy, you know. She's mm -hmm. 20 years old when this came. Cabin fever, you know? yeah. So when the baby is one she she wants to go back to work and then suddenly there's daycare and daycare is ridiculously expensive and we were paying for her to go to work right it's it's that cycle of you're working to pay for child care and the, and the work isn't paying for her work isn't paying for child care oh geez yeah not even worse quite but you know i but she's going crazy being home all the time. Like, well, you know, maybe okay, get out. So, right, that was an effort. supportive husband. It was an effort made. What you what you say? Supportive husband, boyfriend. Or I'm sorry, okay. yes, it's supportive just, boyfriend. It's, it's, supportive in this boyfriend. case, a <laughs> important notion because yes, yes, a, you know, a a year or right before Althea's second birthday, we we kind of we split. It wasn't wasn't mm -hmm. working. She moved. In with some people we knew nearby and uh, we shared custody for a little while. And then she was, you know, she was on a trip. It wasn't working for her being a parent. And, uh, and one day she's called me and said, I can't pick her up tonight. You're going to have to pick her up. And I give her credit for recognizing that she was completely not succeeding as a parent. Mm -hmm. um, because that, could have just made things worse if right pressed on. But then, you know, so then she took off like geographically, like she was gone. And, uh, and with the, with, with help from grandparents and stuff, I like, all right, I'm, I'm a single dad. So it is this, she took off. Is that like the cliche? I'm going to go get cigarettes, never coming well, back. Yeah, kind of I mean, took we off living together at the time. Right, right. No, I mean, she dropped a bunch of stuff at her dad's house and departed the region. Just like left. He didn't know where she was. Nobody knew. Wow. 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 Um, but I, I mean, she. She had to go get her head together or whatever. I don't know, man. Mm -hmm. And uh, and honestly, I haven't spoken to her ever since. Wow. So um, a big pat on your I mean, I and. And I'm not saying this, I know this happens to, you know, moms a lot of the time as well, but in this specific instance, huge friggin' pat on your back for, I can, I can only imagine you are at that point 23 and now becoming a single dad to a two-year-old. Right. Um, and I was, that's uh, intense. I mean, I was all broken up. I was broken up that when we split up. I, I cried because my daughter wasn't going to have the mom and dad married, living together life. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, it was unlikely. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was really unlikely objectively. You know, I can say that now, but at the time I still, I had hope. I had some sort of, you know, I'd had, had some sort of hope. I didn't cry about the relationship. I cried about my daughter, mm-hmm. but then you have to get up and go to work. <laughs> so right, we did, right. you know, and yeah. kind of pressed on and I had good support from grandparents on both sides. And, uh, you know, for better or worse, as weird as that may have been at times. And, uh, and ultimately, you know, not a horribly long time later, I met someone else. Mm-hmm. So I was in, uh, I was in Maine. I'd gotten a weekend away. Althea was with her grandparents and I went to see the fish festival in Maine, the, uh, lemon wheel festival 98. And it was the night after that we had, we had gotten out of the festival and we were in a bar in Bangor, Maine, a lo- total like locals bar. There were cowboy hats in there. We were drinking. Mm-hmm. Stephen King was probably yeah, there. He was just, you know, writing in a corner. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And uh, we were drinking Budweiser and playing this like tabletop bowling game with some of the locals. And it was great. It was a great night. And I was sitting mm-hmm. with, uh, at the table with my friend Diane. And I said, Diane, you got to introduce me to some of those young ladies from that town that you're from. She's from a small town. And, and I, and I had a picture in my mind of who I was speaking because I had seen them. I didn't know them. And so she ultimately, she did. And I started dating, uh, Amy in night in that September. And a year later on my birthday, in September of 99, we moved in together and mm. we were married in 2000 and uh, we still are. That's a fantastic turnaround on that story. I, I just lightning struck and uh, I got, you know, lucky. She's just, she was sweet, beautiful, wonderful, liked Althea for some reason, despite the advice of her friends, decided to take on this guy who. Didn't have a lot going on, a cute kid, but that there's baggage, right? She did it anyways, and here we are. So we got married in 2000, and um, and life is good, right? So a year later, we bought a house. Yeah. Two years after that, we had a baby. Let's do it again. Why not? Sure. <laughs> so seven-year gap yeah. between Althea and my, uh, my next daughter, Piper. And then Emmett was born in a few years after that. <laughs> yeah, with the now with the yeah. third, it's uh, then knows? I got the other one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, born that's, that's maybe in '08. Yeah, he'd be ten uh, next year. Okay. So. <laughs> yeah, math is not my strong suit. That's why I got married in 2000. So I just said, "What year is this? 2017." I've been married 17 years. That's Perfect. So you have the three kids and my hat's off to you because I always am a little bit in awe. I mean, I come from a family. I'm the eighth in eight kids and my parents, I always say, are completely wacky for doing such a thing to themselves. Right. Let me just say, I've heard you describe this uh, on a previous episode and my f- mm-hmm. thought was that your parents are completely wacky, but also extremely <laughs> admirable. Um, and 
And not because yes. not only did they do that, but it seems like they pulled it off, which is yeah. that's just yeah. amazing. Yeah, it's but pretty crazy. I think I've said something like this for years, and a, my mother told me that her mother, who had four kids, uh, said, you know, after after two, it's not like you're going to have any less time because you don't have any time anyways. Right. I've heard people say that. Once you get to three, it just yeah, doesn't matter fine. anymore. Just a, just another thing going bump in the house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But to me, like, once you when you have two, you you right. both have one. Like, I can hold this one's hand and you hold that one's hand. Once you have three, then you're outnumbered and the the benefit for you guys is you have the years between them uh the one the ones that have three and they keep them all at about that a lot of people go for that year and a half gap between them that that really like those people i'm in awe of in in their abilities to have three kids within a four and a half year span or whatever it may be. That's, well, what's that's the, craziness. Um, I'm not going to try to remember who it is because I have a bad feeling that this is a Bill Cosby joke, but Oh no. <laughs> right. It's okay. He doesn't it's, listen. Uh, it's not my joke, but it's, there's this point once you, you, you know, where you're two, you're on man, but once you get to three or more, you got to go on zone defense. Oh yeah. Um, it's not that's my joke. True. Yeah. But, um, so tell me about the uh, parental karma that's come back on you. Are, how, how are your kids like you or how are you? I mean, do you see any of your dad in yourself oh. with your parenting of them or have you down the road? Totally, I do. So that's a multi-part question. So parental karma. So my dad, of course, was gone. So my mother did a a lot of the raising because my dad was at sea six months out of every year for a lot of years. So of course it was, it was she whom I tormented when I was little and I Mm -hmm. was, you know, sick or getting hurt or eating strange things or knocking pictures off the wall. So they landed on my head and, you know, all of these crazy. (laughs) Yeah. I was being a boy wild. And, um, later diagnosed as ADHD as everybody was Mm -hmm. in the (laughs) Mm eighties. And, um, and so of course the big thing is that Althea has it. I'm sorry, Althea to out you, (laughs) but she's got it. And anybody who knows her knows this about her already because it's Mm -hmm. the parent, you know, it's, it's a very clear thing. And so she grapples with it. And of course, we as parents grappled with it and that was the that was the big mm-hmm. one right that's like this drove my mother crazy now it gets to drive me crazy now she's hopefully she's out there in the world and learning to focus on the things that matter because mm-hmm. well because you have to right but yeah i don't know and so so there's that and and you know Emmett is a rambunctious boy, but I don't think he has that problem. Thank goodness. And Piper is like just this; she's a spitting image of her mom, but she is just this character, mm-hmm. such a character. And I think that is um, that's probably one of the the positive sides of the karma. You know, I, I see that of me and her. She's just a 
unique and wonderful, charming character, especially as, as all they all do, as they get older, they become like real people. And it's just fascinating and wonderful to see. Right. Yeah. But you know, like I used to clash with Althea so much when she was a teen, it was, it was terrible. It was terrible. I, I am a, I have been a terrible father as much as I've tried to also be a good father and good parent, you know, I've been a terrible father and just angry raging at times. And, you know, and she raged back and Mm -hmm. um, it's so hard. I I say that to myself sometimes with my kids now. And, you know, I have a five-year-old all 100% complete boy that is, that has his mom's, a lot of his mom's fire in him. Uh, my wife definitely like her mom will say he is completely you to her and say that you are getting your right. parental karma uh, through him. And uh, my nine year old daughter is completely me. And so we, you know, we, we, we have those struggles and, both of us have sent texts to each other saying, Oh, I feel awful about the way I parented today. Or, uh, I wish I had had more patience today or whatever. I mean, it's just that it's that constant struggle. And I think we are, and, and it, this is part of the thing that makes me really conscious about parenting, because I think about this with my, dad and unfortunately my dad passed away long ago so i can't ask him these questions but i do wonder like right how was that for him like did he think about the did he go through these struggles and did he ask his dad for advice or did he think about how his dad dealt with him and his siblings and you know it's kind of that that generational thing that takes place and that we all kind of have that struggle it's like when my wife had went through the pregnancies and everything and said i'm so angry at all those people who said pregnancy is the most amazing glorious happiest uh chillest time of their life and for those of those for those of the women that actually experienced that for real like i'm extremely envious but the ones who lied about it and wanted to make it seem like everything was totally fine. Like they're ridiculous and they need to (laughs) like cop to it. The fact that this is very difficult to do. And yeah, it's, it's hard work from day one pregnancies, you know, they, they, they're all different. And anybody who says, Oh, they're all, Mm -hmm. they're, they're either super lucky or they're full of shit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have a dear friend who has beautiful wonderful daughter and the, what she went through with her pregnancy was just was terrifying you know she was ill yeah most of it and it was just you know and a and there yeah. was somebody else whose wife was clampsick you know and she had stroke you know just days oh. before the baby was born you know I'm like, oh god we fortunately didn't have any of that um we mm-hmm. did have a little trouble with my son was the day my son was born uh, because we had planned a home birth, but the midwife was late 
Oh, boy. So this is a story. I should tell you this, probably. It seems like the appropriate place. <laughs> yeah, it seems like it. So, um, you know, when Amy and I had Piper, we did, you know, we tried to do natural childbirth. When, when Althea was born, we did a natural childbirth in the hospital and it didn't go so well. You know, we're, we're young. Mm-hmm. We'd done classes, but we were young. And like when I tried to step in and do the coach thing, the nurse was like, get out of here. And right, right. Okay, great. Fine. Sucked. And that baby was, you know, Althea was born and they kicked me out of the hospital. And I went to my friend's house, lived in an apartment right near there. And Piper was, Piper was planned. Piper was, uh, you know, we were, I was in a very different space in my life. And Amy and I were excited. Right. House, you know, we had a, a young, young child who was excited to be a big sister. And, and we took, uh, for natural childbirth and we went to like the, the Bradley method and which is a fairly oh, yeah. hippie-ish kind of method uh, yeah. for having a a baby at a birthing center or a hospital without any interventions. And almost pulled that off, had her in the hospital, long labor. She went into labor on like Friday night and uh, delivered on s- early Sunday morning. It was a long, exhausting labor for Amy. And I was tired too, but it was exhausting for her. It was just crazy. But everybody was healthy, no pain drugs or any of that stuff. So it was great. With Emmett, Amy wanted to go further with it. And I I was into it um, because we we were just kind of really into what had happened with Piper as far as the Bradley method, the things we had learned about, you know, just getting through the pregnancy and labor and delivery. And despite the fact that it had been such a long labor, it had a lot of it went pretty well. You know, we managed pretty well. And so this time Amy said, well, let's do a home birth. That point we're living in this house that I'm in now actually. And, uh, and so we, she, she found a midwife and kind of did some of the classes again and, you know, brushed up on our uh, natural childbirth stuff, but you know, we were going to have a midwife and an assistant there and it was going to be great. So, uh, then the morning of May 3rd, Amy wakes me up. I'm sleeping in. I'm in labor. It's still very early. Mm. I'm going to get some chores done. You should probably get up. (laughs) There's no going back to sleep at that point. <laughs> yeah. So I jump up and I'm like, oh shit, I get the birthing pool set up because we're going to do a birthing pool and the, and the move the dining room table over and go to set up the birthing pool. And I realize I don't have the right connector for the hose to the sink. So I go to go to Home Depot and get the hose connector and I fill the thing. And meanwhile, checking in with Amy, you know, how's it going? Where are we? Timing still far out. Okay, great. And then, um, we're on the phone with the midwife and she's like, where are you? And I hit, you know, give her the time timing of the contractions. She's like, okay, well, you know, I'm going to um, probably get some, get this thing done and I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and come down. Uh, Cause she did not live, she did not live right in the town where we are. And so she's on her way. Great. Well, then everything accelerated. And suddenly Amy's like, this is speeding up, speeding up. All right. So we call the midwife. She's like, uh, okay, well, just help her keep her comfortable. Tell me when it gets to contractions get this close. And, you know, I'm talking on cell phones and okay. And uh, 
we're sitting there in the living room, uh, not not even fifteen minutes later. I'm like, I'm calling the midwife back. Uh, uh, um, she's uh, it's you know they're I don't remember the timings anymore. They're they're this close, and I think we're getting really kind of close. It's accelerating. She's like, oh yeah, it is. And um, and right then, Amy's like, that's it. She gets up off the sofa and she tears up tears off her clothes and plows across the room and climbs into the pool. I was like, uh, she just got in the pool. Um, and then oh I was like, uh, you're going to need to get in there with her. Uh, I don't have my trunks on. <laughs> like, I'm not ready for that. Uh, I, got, I got stuff in my pockets. <laughs> Everything out of my put her on speakerphone, but the little cordless phone on the, the desk there in the di- corner of the dining room. And I climb into the pool with Amy and a few minutes later, I'm holding my son up by the ankles and whacking him on the back and clearing his airway. Wow. And yeah. Wow. Boom, baby. It's easy to say that I, I delivered my son, but I didn't do, I just caught the guy, you know, pulled him out of the water. Right. Right. And then, uh, and then we got out of the pool and situated, sat down on the floor on a towel and wrapped up, wrapped them up, you know, kept them bundled up and warm and, and then my mother-in-law arrived. She had taken Althea and Piper out for, for lunch. They arrived. I'm like, oh my gosh, what? Oh, there's a baby. And we went upstairs. And then the midwife finally showed up. <laughs> what happened? And, uh, and then we did all the cord yeah. cutting. And the I, oh, I delivered the placenta with her on the phone. And you know, we did all the cord cutting and all of that stuff. And that was crazy. So, that is insane. Well, congratulations. That's the uh, that's the Jonathan method. Yeah. Uh, just wait till it's ready and then catch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we did uh, Bradley with our son, so I'm fully aware of that whole thing. And Bradley's cool. He's a little a little kooky on some of the uh, some of the details here and there, but mm-hmm. but it really did um, inform like a lot of you know learning about how you know the body is built and understanding like birthing positions and all that kind of stuff is great. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it prepared us a lot for what happened that day with our, that was a hell of a, a hell of a story. And it's nice to be able to say, you know, when we're, eating, when we're eating dinner, yeah, you were born about four feet that way. And, <laughs> uh-huh. and uh, so what is your involvement with your dad now? Well, you know, they live like an hour or a change away. So, um, he's, mm-hmm. he's, He's getting up there, but, uh, you know, he's super retired, tries to maintain his health, goes bowling, plays golf, Mm -hmm. watches TV. And, you know, we visit and hang out. We have a a cordial relationship, a good relationship, I think, pretty. But we don't Mm -hmm. like, and I'll probably, I might regret this one day. I don't know. We don't sit and have like deep talks that often. Mm-hmm. Um, but we get along. We we have a good understanding of one another, I think, and a healthy respect for one another and love. And you know, we we coordinated. My brother and I, my parents had their uh, what year is this? They had their fiftieth wedding anniversary in last year, I think. Oh wow! God, that's a lot. A lot of years. Fifty is a lot. But they got married young, and. Uh, so my parents, they went to the UK to for like a vacation celebrate. So they mm-hmm. they were driving up from Wales into Scotland and 
visiting a couple friends from my dad had that lived over there and, and just sightseeing. And my brother and I flew over. Their anniversary is in May. And last year, their actually the anniversary was the Saturday. Mother's Day was Sunday. So he hmm. and I flew to Edinburgh on Sunday, Saturday. Killed the day, hung out, sightsee, you know, sightseeing and whatever, drinking scotch. And, and then uh, Sunday, we kind of did a little bit of the same during the day. And then we went to a restaurant and my father, with whom we coordinated this, brings my mother in for dinner and it's mother's day in the States and completely unaware. When she walks in the restaurant. He says, I think our table's over here. And she turns to the right and there's my brother and I sitting on mother's day. Oh gosh. Whole other country. That is so cool. She was so like, he's a, he's a cool guy, you know, like he gets, he, yeah. he was into that. And, uh, and then we spent the day, the next day traveling around with him and then we left him alone we're going back home you guys enjoy the mm-hmm. rest of your trip so he was game to kind of pull that off that's very cool he's a good guy i, I like him <laughs> right <laughs> that's good that's good but, um, that's good and we and we laughingly say that oh, but well, like you know i i know that that's not something to take for granted right. either so and i try not to um try yeah yeah, I know that the alternative exists and it, it for a time it did for me. I mean, I was, but it that was mm-hmm. really, it was me. It was all me. I was just young, you young, impetuous dickhead. And, uh, and I got over it and, and settled yeah. down and, you know, did a little something with my and got and older. Earned his respect yeah. Yeah. So that always helps. I think potentially some of that does actually fall into that different upbringing and establishment that he had in his life that he saw in his dad's life, maybe to some extent in his wife's dad's life or whatever that effect had on her. And, you know, you didn't really partake in that. And so I'm sure that also kind of, but pushed that beast along a little bit discipline more. in my parents' house when I was growing up, when I was young was, it was a little, it was kind of tight, particularly when dad was around, you know, it was mm-hmm. a little less tight when mom was around because she could only muster what she could muster. Although she had come from an overly rigid household where she grew up, but you know, they, they, they also come from a different generation where, you know, you, when your parents spoke, you shut up and listened and did what they said. Right. We um yeah. we kind of hope for something like that from our kids, but and every now and then I lapse to it and say I said get over here, it's time. But I right. try not to be that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um but it, it sometimes it's a conscious effort to not be that um dictatorial. Yes. Yeah. It it comes it can come naturally. Know, and that's again you mentioned earlier and i didn't really go into it of like how am i like my father sometimes that sometimes I, I definitely have his like some of his pained expressions that he used to make at me mm-hmm. um i'm shooting him at mm-hmm. my kids or at my wife in response to my kids particularly althea and not so much not as much these days but in 
you know, her later teens, you know, like, what, what, what are you doing? Mm. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. What makes you think this is reasonable? I like that we said that the exact yeah. same time. Yeah. I kind of laugh at myself even when I'm saying it. And I, I know my wife have, and I have shared some looks at each other when I'm saying it. And, and I don't say it in an angry tone or anything like that. But there are the times that I get questioned when I'm saying, I, can you please do this? And the why question comes up. And I just kind of jokingly say, because I said Sometimes so. Sometimes I'm joking when I say or. Because I'm your yeah. dad or whatever. I'm not joking. Yeah. But it really is. It It's different, though. Like, when we were kids, like, that was a, you are oh. right. <laughs> I'm not going to question that unless we were really openly rebelling. Until I was a teenager, when the answer given was, because I said so, it was not only was that a clear and definitive answer, but it also it also implied something else, which is how dare you freaking ask. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I try not yeah. to deliver at least the latter part. Um, you know, I try not to yeah. you know, take too much umbrage because I, I want my kids to be, I want my kids to question authority and question the reasonableness of the rules and the, the, the strictures around them. Um, but not mine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, exactly. You can go and ask all those other people why, why right. they're telling and you I, to and do I something. Won't, but under my roof, I, young I, man. My parents would, you know, if I came home and complained about a teacher, my parents would 90%, 99% not have my back in any way on that. Not that they weren't looking out for mm-hmm. me or totally. concerned about my well-being, but if the teacher said do this, their expect my parents' expectation was that well, I should do this. Where if my kid comes to me and says the teacher right. says this, and that's but but I don't understand why we. Uh, I'll look at it with that kind of like, you know, I get I, I I try to give them the benefit of the doubt and try to look at it from mm-hmm. you know well. Well, you know, sometimes, sometimes it doesn't make sense. You know, my, my parents would never have like, or my father, my mother might have, she was kind of a rebel. She was, she was the liberal voter in Mm -hmm. the house. Um, my father's a Navy conservative voter, but, um, Mm -hmm. you know, they wouldn't have questioned like, you know, reading a social studies worksheet and said, well, this is not accurate. Whereas I'm going over stuff, you know, we're in Virginia. So my son is doing like Virginia colonial history and talking about, you know, agriculture and slavery and stuff. And, you know, one of his flashcards about slaves is that they gave up their freedom. And I said, that's crap. That is not accurate. Hmm. You know, and I correct it. Interesting. Corrected it to him the first time I saw it. And every time since and and he knows that I've changed it because mm-hmm. well what do what do what do teachers expect from us parents when they give us common core right. we're going to question right. everything now and I don't now. even know that we're doing I don't even know what common core is I just if I see work that my kids receive that doesn't make any sense I'm going to say it mm-hmm. of course piper is doing algebra and you know half of that it doesn't make any sense but for a completely different reason I was a terrible student 
I, I mean, I could do yeah. many of the things that were asked of me. I, I just really never tried. Chose not to. Terrible. It's yeah. terrible. It's, I'm, I'm, and that is probably the, the greatest potential curse. And Althea brought that home constantly. Mm-hmm. Because Althea is a smart kid. And um, she, at times, was not really applying it in school. Now I think she's, I think she finally cares. And that makes, mm-hmm. actually really makes me so happy to see that she seems to be working and working hard and she's trying to, she's hoping to graduate someday and <laughs> let's hope it holds up. You know, uh, she wants to do theater. She's doing theater and that's crazy to me. So, you know, I'm like simultaneously proud and terrified but as long as she can, if she can push through and get the degree and then, you know, then she's got a nice fancy piece of paper while she's waiting tables and trying to do theater or, or whatever, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe she doesn't have to suffer through that. Maybe she'll be lucky and find the, put herself in the right yeah. place. That'd be amazing. Yeah. I think terrified and proud is a fairly accurate in good scenarios of where we can be a lot of times as parents it's a chronic condition yeah get used to it yeah (laughs) or or try to because it's it's a it's often about the best you can do right well i think that that is a fantastic ending note for this part of our conversation we covered a lot of things and your story is very unique in line of all the conversations that I've had so far with dad. So I'm very appreciative of you taking the time. And, uh, I, I, sometimes I feel a little bit selfish because I feel like I'm walking away from these with new little nuggets that I'm taking away from the conversations. But then I remind myself that there's, that other people are taking away nuggets from these conversations as well. I just have to remind myself that I'm not, I'm not being selfish. Well, there is a there is a point for it. As a guy who makes podcasts, also I think that ultimately, if you're you're doing this and if you're taking away something from it, then it's worth the time, anyways. True. If anybody else out there is enjoying it or getting something from it, then bonus. Awesome. Yeah, Crazy, yeah. Right? True. So uh, again, I will let you kind of tell everybody where you are accessible to them okay um you can find me on twitter at rogue j r-o-w-j uh, also my podcast is the broke down podcast which is at broke down pod or you can search for it on facebook as the broke down podcast and there's a website but you can find it from those other places it's a really long yeah check it out i'm also on the helping friendly podcast which you may have heard of with the previous guest Again, thank you very much for taking the time to be on. Thanks. And that concludes the first half of my conversation with Jonathan Hart. Again, you can find the Daddy Unscripted podcast pretty much anywhere that you can find podcasts, whether that's on your little Apple device with the Purple Podcast app or on Stitcher Radio, on TuneIn Radio, on Google Play, or right there at the website, which is daddyunscripted.com. 
You can also find us on Twitter under Daddy Unscripted, on Facebook under Daddy Unscripted. We also have an Instagram under, you guessed it, Daddy Unscripted. So keep sending in those emails and some more guest ideas for me. I know I have been getting a lot of these guests from my guests, but also getting some good ideas from you guys. So make sure you send those in and that will keep this ball rolling with some great guests as we roll into 2018. You can send emails to me at daddyunscripted at gmail.com and keep an eye out for the second half of my conversation with Jonathan that will be coming out in a week or two weeks from now. Thanks a lot, you guys. Mm-hmm.